0: And let's go to our Bibles and we're going to go back to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. In this chapter we're getting ready to go into chapter 5 of Ezra and you've already heard uh, as we did our scripture reading part of the message Uh, because part of the message was preached by Haggai here in chapter 5 and then there's another prophet who also speaks named Zechariah. So if you're following along in your Bible it would be good for you to keep your finger in Ezra chapter 5 and then to put your finger or a bookmark or have your neighbor hold it or something but find a way uh, to find the book of Haggai that we just read uh, and then also the book of Zechariah which is right next to it because we're going to look at all three of those different passages this morning. The title of the message is Obeying God and Trusting Him for the Outcome. You know, sometimes we hear God say, do something, and we say, I'll do it if, never add that word, never add that word. If God says, do something, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, and I will do what you've called me to do. Ezra chapter 5, when God speaks, our responsibility is to obey, regardless of the outcome. Now again, let's review. Ezra chapter 1 is where God stirred in the heart of King Cyrus, King of Persia, and said, I want a group of people from Israel to go back to Israel to rebuild the altar and to rebuild the temple there in Jerusalem. God stirred my heart, this is not my idea, Cyrus says, God moved me to do that. Remember we talked about this, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he will. And God turned the heart of Cyrus, a pagan king, and said, you need to obey me uh, by sending God's people back. They've been in exile long enough, it's time for this to happen. Then in Ezra Ezra chapter 2, 50,000, around 50,000, maybe just a little shy of that of the children of Judah, voluntarily went back and walked the 1,200 miles uh, to to Jerusalem. And uh, in chapter 3, they got busy about doing the work. And they built the altar on top of the ancient uh, foundations. And they went back to the old paths. And they said, this is the way God blessed us in the past, when we sacrificed according to God's law. And this is what we want again. And so they went back and began to establish that, uh, that worship. And then after the altar was up and the sacrifices had begun, they went back to rebuilding the temple again on the same foundations that Solomon had laid many, many years before always interesting to me they didn't start with walls they didn't start with by building the army they didn't start with all of their defenses from the enemy they said no we're trusting god and we will worship him and we will ask him to protect us then in chapter four we had last week we talked about this how the enemies of god saw them rebuilding and the local uh, officials said we don't like this We don't want these people to rebuild. We don't want uh, the worship of God to continue here. We want to do what we can to stop this. And so they tried to infiltrate the Israelites, the Jews, and said, we want to help. And uh, the Jews said, no, you're not here to help. You're here to cause trouble. So we're not going to let you in. Besides that, you don't worship only God. You worship God plus your false gods. And so we are looking for people who are totally committed to the work of the Lord. And then they brought some accusations and then they exaggerated the accusations and they eventually got some legislation passed to stop the children of Israel from accomplishing the work. And that's kind of where we left it last week in Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4 verse 24 says, Then the work of the house of God in Jerusalem ceased and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius the king. Then Ezra chapter 5 picks up 15 years later and the work goes back on. Fifteen years of delayed service for the Lord. Now, on the notes that you have there on the back, you'll see there's a, there's a chart of the kings of Persia. And so if you look at the chart, and then you look at what happened in Ezra chapter 4, and you look at Ezra chapter 5, you can be a little confused, because it looks like Darius was the king before uh, Ahasuerus and before Exerxes, or, or Artaxerxes. And he was. So I thought, what in the world is going on here? The 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 uh, the timetable's all messed up. And then I got thinking about and studied it out and looked at it, and I said, well, you know, I think what was happening in Ezra chapter four is that not so worried about a timetable here. We're worried about a theme. God's work is trying to be stopped, and this is how God stopped the work along the way. If you remember back in the book of Genesis, you have Genesis chapter one and verse one, and says, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that covered everything, right? It was all created, verse one. And then he begins describing, he goes back and describes again what happened on day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and how he rested on the seventh day. And then you go to chapter two, and then he goes back in Genesis, and it describes the details of how Adam and Eve were created, right? So sometimes it's not a matter of chronology. It's a matter of a theme that God's trying to get across and communicates that through the authors. And that's what happened in Ezra chapter 4. So don't let uh, that timetable mess you up when you think about the fact that Darius is being mentioned in chapter 5 and he actually came before the kings who stopped the work. It's, it's just talking about some of the, uh, the work, how God stopped the work and that was just a theme that was being expressed there. So now let's go on to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, we again are coming back, on a, coming up on a time where for 15 years, some say 9 years, some say 16 years, somewhere around 15 years, uh, the work of God has stopped. The temple's not being built. If it is, it's just a few people working here and there along the way, but it's not a full forced effort of the children of Israel. And then they become focused on building their own homes and getting reestablished. Remember, they're exiles who come 1,200 miles here to move into Judah to get back to the work of God. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with them building houses. There's nothing wrong with them establishing farms and vineyards and all the things that they needed to survive in the land. To get things reset up. If you've ever been away from a place for a long time, you know the ruins are there and then when you come back and then you've got to fix everything up. You know what a house is that needs to be fixed up. So there's a lot of work that went into just getting into the land, getting established, making sure that life could go on as it should be. But the work of God had come to a stop. They'd gotten all excited about it and then the trouble came and they stopped. Now let's be honest for a bit. How many of us have gotten excited about the work of the Lord? Maybe a brand new Christian. You're really excited. You want to win the world for the Lord. And then you run into somebody who says, I don't want to hear that. And then you go, oh, okay, I'll back off a little bit. And then you run into somebody else who says, eh, I don't need that. And you back off a little bit more. And then COVID hits and you get, oh, I don't want to go to church. I'm afraid I'm going to get sick. And there's other things that happen. And we get distracted and we get sidetracked. And our enthusiasm for the work of the Lord kind of wanes. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. It sure has. We all go through times like that. And it's times like that that we need revival. We need God to stir our hearts again, to put that new enthusiasm into, in our hearts for the work of the Lord. To give us that desire to get back at what we once did and maybe slipped away from. This had happened to Israel now. They got all excited. They built that altar. They got all excited. They started on the temple. Remember in the end of chapter 3, there's this shouting and rejoicing along with the weeping. And it could be heard from miles away. There was so much excitement. But then Ezra chapter 4 comes and the enemies attack. And that backs off. And they stop. Well, Ezra chapter 5 tells us that God brought in some things to change that. In Ezra chapter 5, we see several things. In your notes, you'll see some words. They all start with an R, a rebuke. And then there's revival. And then there's a response from the Persians. But then there is a resolve to get back to the work of God. Now, they don't know what the outcome is going to be. But God has stirred their hearts. And they're going to get busy doing what God's called them to do. Look at Ezra chapter 5 and uh, verse 1. Ezra chapter 5 verse 1 Verse four talks about or chapter four. The end of the chapter talks about the work had ceased. In chapter five, verse one, when the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Idu prophet prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Jozadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them supporting them. You know, this is where you see the value of a preacher. And I'm not trying to make you look at me. Just any preacher. Somebody who will get up and preach the truth to you. Whether it's me, Pastor Innes, Pastor uh, Kelly, Dr. Olila, uh, any guest speaker that we get here. You need to understand the value of preachers. We're not here to proclaim our message. We're here to proclaim God's message. We're here to tell you what God has said in his word. Any preacher who tells you anything other than what's in God's word you just need to just shut him off. But if God is speaking through his word to your heart, you need to listen. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see the apostle Paul speaking of the importance and the responsibility and the the task that has been given to preachers. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, God gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 3 says one who prophesies or the man who preaches speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So, in a, in, a, in a way, you need to understand that a preacher's job is to stir you up to do the work of God. It's not for him to do it all. Yes, we are to do it too. But in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, we will give ourselves to the reading of the word and to prayer and you can take care of the details of these other things that have to happen so that we can focus on these things so that we have something to present to you to challenge you and remind you of what God has said. And I'm thankful for the time that you do give us to do that. The Apostle Paul also encouraged Timothy, uh, the young preacher, in Second f- Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 of what his responsibilities were. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke. By the way, I always told the young interns when they come, I said, you need to be ready to preach, pray, or die at any given moment. And I told them, and sometimes you're going to feel like doing all things at the same time. And those guys always rose to the occasion. We need to be ready in season and out of season. It says in verse 2, reprove. Rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but wanting to have their ears tickled they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths but you be sober in all things endure hardship do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry so the preacher has this job to exhort you and to encourage you and to rebuke you at times and say, let's get back to what God has called us to do. That's, those are New Testament admonitions to preachers. But in the Old Testament, they also had a similar admonition. In uh, the Old Testament, Isaiah describes what the prophet's job was. In Isaiah 58 verse 1, it says, cry loudly and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet." And declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So now we are in the days of the exiles. Let's go back uh, to Ezra chapter 5 and also get your finger in Haggai chapter 1. In Ezra chapter 5 verse 1 we see these two prophets, these two preachers that God raised up when the work had ceased in Jerusalem. And these two preachers got up and rebuked the children of Israel and said, you need to get back to what God has called us to do. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. Read it. Are you there? Are you there? Have you found it? It's one of those Old Testament books that's hard to find. Haggai chapter 1 verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, that's Jeshua in Ezra, the son of Josdak, the high priest, saying, "Thus says the Lord, this people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. so there Haggai begins his message with a warning against lethargy and 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 weariness in the work they say, Ah oh, we don't really need to get back at that just yet we don't need to do that right now. The kings have told us to stop, but they forgot that the king the lord of all had told them to do the work and that they had been commissioned also by cyrus so he warns them he says you're saying it's not time he said no it's time secondly in verse 3 then the word of the lord came by haggai the prophet saying is it time for yourselves for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies desolate he warns them against not only being lazy he warns them against wrong priorities He says, you're focusing on building your nice houses. You're working on getting grass in the yard, and you're working on watering the grass and the flowers and all the things that you want to do for your comfort while God's house is sitting there desolate. It's not finished. It's half done. We need to get back to the work. And then he warns them that they're missing out on some of the blessings that God wants to give them Because their priorities are wrong and because they've gotten lazy. He says in verse 5 of Haggai chapter 1, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, you've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one's warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Uh, Delbert and I were talking back here before, because he knew what he was reading uh, for the scripture passage today. He says, I like this passage. He said, it kind of describes what happens. We we put our money into 401ks thinking that's going to take care of us. Well, what has happened this last week when the war started? I know what my 401k did. Sometimes those are bags with holes in them. The only way that we are going to know the blessings of God and the provision of God is, is by keeping God as a priority in our lives. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. God will take care of you. He will meet your needs. Focus on what he's called you to do and let him take care of you. He will. Peter Williams in a commentary wrote, The lesson is clear. When we marginalize God and neglect his work, he removes his blessing and our lives become spiritually impoverished. In short, we lose out. And then he said, in the light of this passage, I feel that God may be saying to us, as he said to the Jews of Jerusalem, consider your ways. Think about it. Where are your priorities? What is important to you? Does the work of God even enter in on your plan?'" Haggai chapter 1 and verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little when you bring it home. I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. So apparently, what happened? They'd faced some opposition. They said, we'll back off. Then, for 15 years, it just got, it just got easier not to think about getting back to the work. You know, every day you're away from church. Every day you're away from reading your Bible. Every day you're away from, reading, uh, from praying. Every day you're away from seeking the Lord. It becomes easier to just stay there. We need to have someone come along like a Haggai and say, let's get with it. Let's get back to what God has called us to do. Praise the Lord for preachers like Haggai who came in. God's enemies said, stop building. Haggai says, let's get building. And they got back to the work. For whatever reason, for 15 years, they would taken their eyes off. And Haggai says, it's time to get with it. And then there's Zechariah who also steps in. A couple months later, in Zechariah chapter 1, look over there for just a moment. Zechariah, a second preacher comes along. We preachers kind of have this thing where we talk about uh, visiting preachers come in. And it's really interesting. Sometimes a visiting preacher will come in and say exactly what was preached the week before, and everybody's paying attention to what the visiting preacher said, and they hadn't paying attention to what the pastor said the last week. And that's okay. That's fine with us. So sometimes it takes more than one preacher to get everybody stirred up. Which is why we bring in evangelists. This is why we bring in missionaries. This is why we bring in guest speakers. Because sometimes they a new voice saying the same thing. Sometimes stirs our hearts. Zechariah did that in Zechariah chapter 1. He reminded the exiles of the failures of their fathers that led to the exile in the first place. In Zechariah chapter 1 verses 1 through 6, in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Idu, saying, the Lord was very angry with your fathers, therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaim saying thus says the Lord of hosts return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds but they did not listen or give heed to me declares the Lord your fathers where are they and the prophets do they live forever but did not my words and my statutes which I commanded my servants the prophets overtake your fathers then they repented and said as the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds so he has dealt with us. So he reminded them of the failures that led to Jerusalem being sacked in the first place. And being, the temple being knocked down in the first place. It was because their fathers had gotten away from the things of the Lord. Their fathers had gotten lazy in the things of the Lord. Their fathers had stopped doing the work of the Lord. And the judgment came. And I can just see these exiles saying, Ooh, that happened to them? Ooh, we don't want that to happen to us. And so we see a revival kicks in. Look at Haggai chapter 1 and verse 12. Go back there. We read this before. I just want to put it back in your minds. Haggai chapter 1 verse 12. When Haggai gets done preaching and Zechariah gets done preaching... Then Zerubbabel, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, And the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month, in the second year, Darius the king. Now you can go back to Ezra chapter 5. Okay, Ezra chapter 5 and verse 2. So, we've gotten through point 1. Are you with me? Are you with me? It's good to see a few shaking hands. So the, the chapter starts off with a rebuke. Don't, 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 don't back away when someone rebukes you. You know what's right. You know what God's called you to do. A rebuke is simply saying, let's get back with what you already know. A rebuke is saying, you know you should be doing the work of the Lord. Let's get back with it. And Haggai and Zechariah did that job. Isaiah, Ezra chapter 5 verse 2, Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jezadak rose and began to rebuild the house of God which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So we see in Haggai that God began that work. He stirred up their hearts. And then their bodies got to work. Sometimes we are here, we hope, we'll hear preaching and, and our hearts get stirred. And we said, that's right, that's right, that's right. And then we walk out the back door and it's like, what was he talking about? What did he say? We forget as soon as we walk away. It's like a bird comes along and just plucks it away and it's gone. We need to not only know what's right, we need to do what's right. When we hear the preaching of the word, we need to act upon it. The people obeyed the preaching of God's word. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, "...prove yourself doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks in his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty." and abides by it not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man will be blessed in his in what he does romans chapter 2 verse 13 says it is not the hearers of the law who are just before god but the doers of the law will be justified it's easy to sit in a church service and hear the word of god and say yeah that's right it's easy for us to read our bibles in the morning and say that's really good It's hard sometimes to get up and do something with it, but it's not until we actually act upon what God has called us to do that his blessing can come down upon us. You know the hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You wonder why your Christian life is boring and dull and meaningless sometimes? Maybe it's because all you are is a hearer and not a doer of the work. Go out there and lead somebody to Christ. Watch as someone is transformed from a sinner into a saint. And you'll get excited again. Watch as you teach a Sunday school class and a child's lights, the eyes come on in the child's mind. And you'll I got it. Watch what happens when you see people respond and act upon what God does. You know, it's not enough for us to know what God has said. We must obey what God has said if we want God's blessing. And then, you know, I appreciate Haggai and Zechariah because they didn't just tell the people what to do. Ezra chapter 5 verse 2 says, And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. They weren't just standing up in a pulpit and preaching. They were right there in the middle of it with them, accomplishing the work. We all need to be serving together. Doing what God wants us to do. Someone said spiritual input and earnest endeavor are always good partners in God's work. Uh, the, and then someone else said the prophetic word did more than launch their new initiative. God sustains his people in their work as much as he stirs them to the task. Uh, Jesus told the disciples. He says if you, be, if you want to be blessed in the work of God. You become servant of all. Not just somebody who barks. You help me as your pastor. Not to be someone who just gives you orders. Remind me pastor. Go with us. Let's go do this. Remind me. I need to be reminded. It's easy to become. Caught up in study. And preparation. And writing. And leading. And speaking. And to forget that I need to be out there. Leading souls to Christ. That I need to be out there. Painting walls. That I need to be out there doing the work. That I need to be giving as you do. That I need to be a part of this. Matthew 20, Jesus went through and talked about that. Mark chapter 10, he talked about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, we are God's fellow workers. We're in this together. We're in this together. The best and most effective churches are the ones where everybody does their part in accomplishing the work. Not everybody knows how to work a trowel to build a wall. But I don't think there's anybody who can't pick up a brick or a stone and bring it to the guy who knows how to do that. I used to do that for my grandfather, the bricklayer. I would haul stuff to him and he did all the work. Well, I did work too because I was sweating hauling that stuff to him. But we need to do what we can in the work of the Lord. Now, Ezra chapter 5 verse 3. Let's go on and see the Persian response. And we're going to go through this quickly here. Ezra chapter 5 verse 3. Something happened there. For 15 years the children of Israel had stopped the work. For 15 years they'd gone idle. They'd gotten working on their own houses. And they'd forgotten the work of God. But now all of a sudden they're busy again. Doing what they should have been doing all along. Building this temple. Building and working and trying to glorify God in the way they worked. And the Persians paid attention and said, something's different. You know, when revival comes to a church, people notice. When revival comes to your heart, people notice. There's something different about them. There's a joy in their walk. There's an excitement in their step. There's a, there's a determination to accomplish the work of God. What happened? This is what happens in Tetanai. The, re- the governor recognizes this. Tatani. He's he's somebody, he's the bigwig. In Ezra chapter four you have some lower magistrates who tried to cause all the trouble. Tatanai is over the entire region west of the Euphrates River that all goes from the Euphrates River all the way out to the Mediterranean Sea. And he has been taking notice of what's happening in Jerusalem. The work has been that impressive because God has so stirred the hearts of his people. Ezra chapter 5 verse 3, At that time Tat and I, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shetharboz and I and their colleagues came to them and spoke to them thus, Who issued you a decree to rebuild the temple and to finish this structure? What happened here? Then we told them accordingly what the names of the men were who were reconstructing this building. Verse 5, But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. Tat and I recognized God's hand was on these people. God was doing something in their hearts. This wasn't them just becoming rebellious and deciding to do something. God had done something. Somehow they had heard them either singing or praising God as they worked, talking about the things of God, maybe witnessing to the people around them about who God was while they were building the work. But whatever, somehow Tat and I saw the eye of their God was on the elders of Judah, of the Jews. And they did not stop them until a report could come to Darius and then a written reply be returned concerning it. And then verse 6 calls about the copy of the letter which Tat and I said uh, sent to them. And you can read down through that into verse 10. So the Tat and I, the governor, is saying, something's going on. The Persian response was that God's doing something among these Jewish people. Oh, that God would send such a revival to Hamilton Square Baptist Church. That when people see you and me in the community, walking the streets, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, with our families, something's happening among those people. God is working in them. The power of God is upon them. And they're doing what God wants them to do. Ezra chapter 5 verse 11 talks about the resolve of the people. Now listen, there was no rudeness, there was no crudeness, they were not being rebellious, they were not being mean, they were not being obnoxious in the work of the Lord. We need to be very careful of that. Let me mention something that happened a month or two ago. I got a message that somebody had taken some gospel tracts from Hamilton Square Baptist Church and put them in a baggie and went out in the middle of the woods someplace and started Tacking them to trees out in the middle of the wilderness. Now folks, that's obnoxious. Let's not do that. That doesn't make us look good. That doesn't make God look good. That makes us look like litter bugs. Let's hand tracks to people. Put a smile on their face. Let's leave them in places where people can pick them up. That is not going to be looked at as litter bugs. Let's be faithful doing the work of God. In a, in a good and thinking proper way. There are ways to do this. When it comes to the believers relationship and to civil authorities there's no place for arrogance accusation or carnal anger masquerading as zeal for the Lord even where we disagree with officials we do it graciously Ezra chapter 5 verse 11 This is the way they answered the Tatanai when they when he asked them who who told you to do this why are you doing this This is the way the Jews answered the governor Thus they answered, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. So we're doing this because God wants us to do this. We're not doing this because we're just stubborn. We're not doing this for political reasons. We're not doing this for personal gain. We're doing this because God has stirred our hearts to do it. And are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago with a great king of Israel, which king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year, Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. They used legal ramifications, legal resources. The king had told them to do this too. God had told him to do this, but Cyrus had also told him to do this. There's nothing wrong with you and me as believers using all of our legal resources to continue the work of God. Verse 14, also the gold and silver utensils of the house of God which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them to the temple of Babylon. These King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to one whose name was Shesbazer. We studied him in Nazareth chapter 1, whom he had appointed governor. He said to him, Take these utensils and go and deposit them in the temple of Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt in its place. Then sa- Then that Shazbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God in Jerusalem, and from then until now it has been under construction and it is not yet completed. We're just doing what God told us to do and Cyrus told us to do. Verse 17, now if it pleases the king, let a search be conducted in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, if it be that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild this house of God at Jerusalem and let the king send to us his decision concerning this matter. So they answered the king politely, they answered him rightly, they answered him respectfully, and then they went back to work on the temple. They did not know what the outcome would be. They said, we are the servants of the God of heaven and earth who told us to do this. And we are going to do the work of God. Respectfully, rightly, politely, faithfully, accomplishing what God wants us to do. And in verse 12, they said, the reason that we're doing this is because we don't want the same thing to happen to us that happened to our fathers. Ezra 5.12, because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath; They didn't do what God told them to do. We don't want to be the same way. We want to learn from their mistakes. I've often told young people who followed me, I said, you watch me. If I bump my head, you duck, okay? It's just dumb if you bump your head too. So Ezra's in Ezra's day, these people are saying, We've learned, we're learning from the mistakes of our fathers. And we're just simply going to be faithful to what God has wanted us to do. So what they were doing in their words and in their deeds, they're giving a very clear witness to the importance of what God had called them to do they had a a resolve to do God's work do you have that kind of resolve to accomplish God's work are you determined to do what God has called you individually to do you have a circle of influence that I do not have look across the aisle you have a circle of influence that the people across the aisle don't have look both ways There's a world that you can reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you doing what God has called you individually to do? If each of us does our part, not concerned about what the consequences are going to be. Ezra chapter 6 tells us the consequences of the letter, their response to the Persian king. But really it doesn't matter what the response of the world is to what we do. We are servants of the God of heaven who have been called to do a work in the Lord, for the Lord. In Acts chapter 4, the religious leaders of Peter and John's day took these two apostles aside and said, We are telling you don't speak in the name of Jesus. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 4, verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Later on in Acts chapter 5, they had gone to prison and then the Lord delivered them from prison and they went right back to preaching. Trouble didn't stop them. Persecution didn't stop them. Difficulties didn't stop them. They were resolved to do the work of God. In Acts chapter 5, verse 27, again, the high priest said, We told you not to do this. But Peter and the apostles answered in 529, We must obey God rather than men. Verse 32, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So we have been also given this opportunity To be busy in the work of the Lord, accomplishing what God wants us to do. And like Peter and the apostles, like Zerubbabel and Shealtiel and the people of Jerusalem in the days of the returning exiles. We need to understand that the hand of God is on us as long as we are doing what he has called us to do. Will you be faithful to what God has called you to do? Look in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 33 for just a moment. Psalm chapter 33 as we bring this to a close. Psalm 33 verse 18. It says there, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our God rejoices in him. Because we trust in his holy name. Now, go into your own heart for a moment. Go into your own mind. Nobody else can go there but you and God. What has God stirred you to do? What has God called you to do? Who has come to your mind that you need to speak to about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have the resolve to get it done with the help of God, the Holy Spirit who is with you. Be faithful to proclaim the name of Jesus this week, wherever it is that God puts you. Let's stand together for a closing word of prayer. I'm thankful that many of you are already doing this. And I want to encourage you to keep going. But if the Lord has stirred your heart and you said, I'm a little away, I need to get back with it. Trust the Lord. Do what he's laid on your heart to do.